I was not entrepreneurial, nor did I have any interaction throughout my life with entrepreneurs. So being an entrepreneur and starting your own company was a black box to me my whole life. And when I was developing as a Marine officer and thinking about what I wanted to do, I think in the back of my head, I maybe wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I didn't really have any idea how that looked. Welcome to Find Your Mission. I'm actor and activist Melissa Fitzgerald. This podcast will bring you into the lives of United States veterans and guide you along on their journey from private citizen to service to entrepreneur. You'll learn from these men and women how they handled the trials and tribulations of service and how they applied those same lessons to new ventures when they left the military and tried their hands at business. I hope these journeys inspire you to push yourself further, believe in your goals, and maybe find your own mission. Thank you to our friends at WeWork, Veterans in Residence, a WeWork and Bunker Labs partnership. Veterans in Residence is a highly selective six-month startup incubator and leadership program. It provides veteran and military family member entrepreneurs the community business support, and workspace to help launch and grow their businesses. Find your tribe. Create your life's work. Learn more at we.co slash veterans. That is we.co slash veterans, or click on the link in the show notes. Also, thank you to our friends at Dell Small Business. Tonight was the big one. Mike and his team had been running little experiments and testing ideas for the last year. So far, they've had success. The success was enticing. So much so that Mike was ready to bet his future on it and dive in. But tonight, he'd find out exactly what he had dove into. This was their Big launch. Would it be mission success or critical failure? Would hundreds of people show up or no one? Years earlier, Mike was awed by the number of family members who had dedicated their lives to service. His grandfather was a three-star commanding general of Marine forces in Vietnam. His cousin became the Supreme Allied Commander and National Security Advisor, and his father was a career Marine officer as well. Mike, though, he just wanted to play lacrosse. He turned down acceptance to the Naval Academy and instead went to a Division III school to pursue his athletic dreams. But Mike knew he didn't have a future in sports. And although he dreamed of being a CEO of a company, he wasn't flooded with options or opportunities. Between Mike's junior and senior year, his father encouraged him to go to a 10-week officer candidate school, AKA OCS. If he passed the course, Nick could still go back and graduate from college and then decide whether he wanted to join the Marines as an officer. OCS was brutal. But Mike made it through. 
And when it was time to decide if he would pursue a path as an officer in the Marines or enter the corporate world, Mike decided to challenge himself not just to serve, but to become the best in his class. Probably how challenging OCS was for me helped me want to do it because I was like, if I think it's going to be as hard as this and I want to be really good at it, it kind of motivated me to sign up and be like, I'm going to be an infantry officer. I'm going to make sure that I finish in the top 10% of my class at the basic school. Mike succeeded in this challenge and was placed at his first choice base. But the world was about to change. When Mike joined, America was enjoying an extended period of peace. After 9-11, suddenly, Mike and everyone in his company went from a peacetime Marine to a wartime Marine. They deployed to both Iraq and Afghanistan. It was nothing Mike had trained for or expected. And it was tough. Mike enjoyed the camaraderie and the pride in accomplishing missions. But when his initial service time was coming to an end, he knew he didn't want to stay in the service. In the back of Mike's mind, he knew he wanted to run a company. But that was really all he had figured out. How to get there, or what that entailed, were all mysteries to him. So he enrolled in business school and then found work at large companies like Pepsi and 3M. Working closely with customers, solving problems, and building brands were areas where Mike thrived. He was happy, or at least he thought he was. It wasn't until fate stepped in that Mike's journey as an entrepreneur really began. My decision to start a CrossFit gym, I think would you could probably fall it under the classic reason an entrepreneur starts a business, which is a gap or pain points and there has to be a better way type moment. I was a regular person working at, in a cube and I was trying to get into good shape. But then one day, this dude, he said, I've been doing this thing called CrossFit. And I was like, what the hell's CrossFit? I did that at the local Lifetime Fitness. And I was, I was blown away at how different that way of working out was than anything I'd ever been exposed to. I played lacrosse at a pretty high level in college. I was an infantry officer. We didn't do any of that stuff. And so I started doing it and with it pretty quickly, I was like, wow, why are, there not, why, why are there not CrossFit gyms everywhere? And then I looked and saw that there were starting to be them everywhere on the coast, but there weren't any in the Twin Cities except for one in uh, the West suburbs. So I did the quick work of doing a market assessment, which is what I did for a living at 3M, and saw the opportunity, looked at the business model, visited a CrossFit gym in the DC area, and was like, uh, yeah, I'm going to do this. Mike opened his first CrossFit gym. And then, with the help of a partner, he opened three more. They had built up a base of members and found success. But they had also reached a plateau. Because CrossFit was an already built brand, and because anyone could open a CrossFit gym, there was only so much they could grow and do until they ran into others doing the same thing. If they wanted to grow, 
they needed to break away from CrossFit and branch out into something new. Using one of their less successful CrossFit spaces, Mike and his team started experimenting with a new kind of workout program. They offered free classes that combined dynamic warm-ups, strength training, and yoga. They called it alchemy. And while those classes were being refined, Mike was doing market research and trying to build a business plan for this new boutique gym experience. When they thought they had everything figured out, Mike and his team decided to throw a launch event and put their idea to the test. We ran this event center called ARIA in the North Loop of Minneapolis. It's the coolest event center there in town at the time. It's huge, this historic building. And we rented it and we were gonna, we did a free class and we wanted to fill it up. We got vendors to come and we had no idea how many people were gonna come. And we did that event like on a Wednesday night and we filled that place up with 400 people and they all did an Alchemy A10 class. And we had our brand finally, we had a big banner and that's when we knew. That's when we were like, yeah, let's do this. And we opened up our first location, I think maybe a month later with over a hundred members, all new, not, none of them were CrossFit people across the business stayed fine and continued growing but growth isn't always easy since the success of the event there have been bumps in the road but mike jones figured out how to turn those bumps into opportunities and scale alchemy 365 nationwide we'll let him explain how he made that possible after this break succeed in small business, your team needs technology that runs efficiently from day one. When you partner with a Dell Small Business Technology Advisor, they can set up new hire profiles for your business so you can get all the tech they need with one call. From computers to thousands of top brand electronics, accessories, and software. It's how Dell helps your small business make the most of every minute. To speak with an advisor today, call 877-BY-DELL. That's 877-BY-DELL. Welcome to Find Your Mission. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And we have on the other line, Mike, what's going on? Hey, how are you? Great to be talking to you today about Alchemy 365. I'm really excited to share your story with our audience. So when did the idea for Alchemy first start rattling around? I was recounting the story of Alchemy to someone else earlier today, so it's fresh and So Alchemy 365 is a boutique uh, group fitness concept, a boutique category of the fitness market. And that is the players like Orange Theory Fitness, Core Power Yoga, Soul Cycle, any kind of yoga studio boot camp. That's the category. And uh, we are a fast growth, early stage, I would say, uh, concept within that space. And we're trying to... We're like in the process this year of breaking past small operation to getting ready to scale nationally. We have a unique concept, you know, we are, we differentiate on brand and the concept that we offer. That's important for us. 
the way it happened was, it's funny how time, when you look back, things seem, I think time frames seem longer than they were. It actually has been, it was actually a very short, condensed process. And the way it went is 2009, Andre and I opened the first CrossFit in St. Paul. At the same time, my current partner, Tyler Quinn, opened the first CrossFit in Minneapolis called CrossFit Minneapolis. We ran that business while I was still working at 3M. And six months later, we had opened a facility. We were growing. Tyler and I met. And very quickly, we decided to join forces and merge businesses. And so we had two CrossFits. I left 3M. And for about three years, from 2011 to 2014-ish, that's all we did was work on building that CrossFit business. We opened it two more studios, one in the suburbs in St. Louis Park and one in Northeast Minneapolis, a really small studio that wasn't successful, but it turned out to be very important to Alchemy. And we were doing really great. We had the biggest CrossFit business in the state of Minnesota. We had a brand. We created a brand. So that was the first brand we created. It was called Union Fitness. And it actually started building resonance and traction in the area as a brand in itself. But we saw some problems with our growth plan. And we, the three partners, we wanted to keep growing. We wanted to have our own brand that was not tied to CrossFit. And we wanted to make a big business. So that was something that we aspired to as we were growing. We looked at the marketplace and uh, the mechanism that we had available was CrossFit. And CrossFit, you know, the not owning the brand was a benefit to get started, but to grow, not owning the brand is a, will hinder us. And CrossFit is a licensing model, which means pretty much anyone can become a CrossFit affiliate and open a CrossFit gym anywhere they want. It's not a franchise. So what we found on our third gym was that we were opening up very close to other CrossFits who were competitors, but we also share the same brand. So there's a chat with a conflict with growth and scaling. And there's a reason there aren't any CrossFit gyms that have created, you know, businesses at scale with more than five to maybe probably more than five locations. So that was a, a problem. So we said to ourselves, we need to create our own brand. What can we do and how can we win? At that exact same time in 2013, Core Power Yoga, which is a dominant player in a lot of markets, particularly Minneapolis, they got bought by a big private equity fund in 2013 for somewhere between 150 and $250 million. And I got my hands on their pitch deck, their prospectus that they presented to investors, and it showed their whole business model. And I saw that their economics were way better than our CrossFit gym. So I said, let's fit whatever we do into their into a model like them. Same layout, same workout room size, same throughput of customers. And let's do what we do well, which is strength and conditioning that works and fit it within that format. So that's how we came up with the Alchemy concept, which really was just one class, which was dynamic warm-up, 10 or 20 minute circuit style workout that's different every day, which looks very similar to a CrossFit workout without barbells, and then yoga cool down to recover and have that feel good towards the end and work on flexibility and balance. And so that fourth unsuccessful CrossFit gym turned into our lab and practice class location for Alchemy. We started doing practice classes for about a year 
throughout uh, the year 2014 while we were building a business plan and getting a brand and doing site selection and finding locations. Uh, we did practice classes in that place. It's in North Minneapolis, kind of an industrial area that's kind of shady. And next door to us was our landlord, who's a good friend of mine who has a diaper business that they wash diapers. So it actually kind of gross. And by the time we were maybe six months in on those practice classes, we were having two or three classes a night and they would have 50 people in each class in this small room. That was when we were like, yeah, we probably should start. We should probably open a location and, and do this. And that's when we started. Were there any moments that you heard from early customers where you thought, wow, we're really onto something? Yeah, there were a couple moments. One was when, so our base of test customers were at first our prospect customers. So it's kind of like you're creating, uh, it's kind of like the, you know, the planned obsolescence or planned cannibalization thing where we were trying to create basically a concept that would kill our CrossFit business. And it never, that never really happened because the brand and niche and focus allow, allowed CrossFit to stay what it is for us and create something new for a different group of customers. However, when we had our CrossFit customers coming to do our test classes and keep coming and bringing their friends because they knew their friends would like it and it just built on a totally organic thing. There wasn't even a business. We didn't even have a website. When we saw that, and of course it was free, so, but you can kind of, you can, you can do the math, especially if you've been around for a while like we had. So that, when we had people coming and repeating at this dingy, kind of sketchy location. And these are people from the, you know, our target customer is the 30 year old high income female, no kids, lives in a high density, like whatever market you're in, the cool warehouse district, that's where our customer comes from. And they were going to this weird spot to do this class. It didn't even have a name. It was called Power 10 at the time. Uh, that was big. And the feedback that we got and the iteration that we made and the results we got, it was huge. But one of the biggest moments that we might have a breakaway thing was when we were getting ready to launch our first location before we had launched it. We were like, let's do a big event. And we were cocky, which kind of have to be because some things just aren't likely to work unless you bowl through it. Uh, and so we rented, I think we figured, I think we even paid for it. We got a discount and that was, that was where we jumped off from. And it was, it was pretty special. Once you knew where you wanted to take the business, how did you go about actually making sure that financially you were able to be on the right footing uh, in, in a safe place to, to scale and grow? Yeah, financing is the most critical thing. And the weird thing is, I remember in business school, when we did case competitions for makeup startups that we'd make up, and the judges, I was always astounded at how all they really cared about was like, what the management team looks like and what the exit strategy is. And I was like, that's not important, but actually it's really, really important how you finance it, who the team is and what the exit strategy. I've, I've learned that now. And so when we were launching, we had a, we had bootstrapped completely our CrossFit business. We started getting access to debt, but when we started our CrossFit business, we used credit card debt and savings to start it. And we grew organically with profit. And so we were, we were a bootstrap business. It was a 
million and a half dollars in sales. Not big, but you know, it was a substantial thing with employees and all that stuff. When we were launching Alchemy, we had a combination of ignorance that allowed us to succeed, which sometimes proves to be really important. And we had, we had enough capital to, I think we pulled off capital to open one location and go from there. It turned out we had enough capital to open two because we got lucky and we found a landlord who did a particular uh, historic tax credit deal on two buildings, our first two buildings that allowed them to fund our entire build out and basically just hand us over the keys to a facility. So that was pure luck or serendipity or whatever you want to call it because that allowed us to start with $286,000. So we had each of the original founders put in like twenty dollars to $25,000. And then we took on one additional founder who was our first outside investor, a guy named Scott, who was a CrossFit friend. And he was a serial CEO slash entrepreneur slash investor who's done a ton of things. And he liked our concept and us. And so he invested 200000 bucks. So we had $286,000. And that money with a bootstrap attitude and lean operations got us that first location up and running and profitable. When did you first hear about the WeWork Veterans and Residence Program and Bunker Labs? I had been exposed to Bunker Labs when I was probably just starting the Alchemy 365 business. So I was a, you know, I was a business owner. And uh, Bunker Labs started maybe Chicago. I don't really, really know. But... They were starting the Minneapolis chapter and my friend Tim O'Neill, who's now the integrator or chief operating officer or whatever his title is at Bunker Labs, he started the chapter and him and I were friends from Tim being the officer selection officer locally here in Minneapolis and him hiring our CrossFit business to do some work for his recruiters. So we I've been friends with Tim for a few years and Tim was got out of the Marine Corps. And I got involved with the Bunker Labs at the level of them launching their chapter and me just trying to help be involved in the growth of their chapter. And then I launched Alchemy and I didn't really you know, have anything to do with Bunker Labs for a couple of years. Then probably this time last year, I was still connected to Tim. He was, he's the number two of Bunker Labs, I believe now. And they're a national organization. And WeWork is popping up in the Twin Cities and everywhere. And my friend Marcus, who I do jujitsu with, who was an aviator in the Marine Corps, he told me, hey, we got this thing called Veterans in Residence. It is a support program for veteran entrepreneurs. You probably should look at it because it gets you access to WeWork. And I was... At that time, like we were operating our team meetings at one of our locations. It was a fine setup. We actually built out a conference room, but we didn't have a corporate office. So I wasn't, I was kind of in the market for trying to find a location for our non studio or our corporate team to operate in. I looked up the program and I saw that it was one, free office space, which was very important. Two, connection with the veteran entrepreneur community. And a, I didn't think I was going to get help or because my company is a later stage than most companies entering that program. So I thought this is going to be an opportunity for me to give back to the community. 
which I had not done. I have not done very much uh, because I've been so heads down working on this these startups. And so that's what it was. I was like, wow, this is going to force me to interact. And so I signed up and I committed to it. And it did exactly that and more. It helped me in so many tremendous ways, just getting connected with people who are like me in terms of being an entrepreneur, coming from the military at some point in their life. There's this unifying theme of all of us. And it was so uh, comforting to be able to tell these people that things, when things weren't going well, and it was in a very transitional time in my life with the company. And I was doing the capital raise and I was having a lot of challenges. And that group really helped me get through it just emotionally and help with resources and ideas and making me feel confident in my decision making. And uh, it's been great. And so I, I re-upped for a, another six months as Veterans in Residence alumni with Ann Holder, who also did a podcast and she has an amazing company. And uh, yeah, it's a great program. Any veteran who has an idea or a concept that they are putting into practice, it should, you should definitely look at it. It's a national program. It's great. What would be one of the things from your military career that really helped you become an entrepreneur and ultimately a successful founder? The military experience is really comprehensive and a lot of intangibles in being successful in business and entrepreneurship. The biggest thing for me, probably two things. One is being an infantry officer, it attracts a certain type of person who is willing to take risk, no doubt, because it's a risky job in terms of physical danger. And you have to be willing to try new things and put yourself out there and be willing to fail to be a successful infantry officer. And so it attracts a certain type of person and it breeds that, it reinforces that and it makes an infantry officer in the Marine Corps who's pretty good, like even an average one, is so proficient at taking a mission and commander's intent and executing it. Like you wouldn't believe how efficient Marine Corps infantry officers are at deploying their assets, which is Marines, to accomplish their mission. So that makes it so that tackling the uncertainties and challenges and hardships of starting something from scratch doesn't even feel that hard when you've done that kind of thing. And it's so formulaically and it's been bred into what you do. So looking back, I only took two years off to go to business school and then two years of working at a big company, but it felt natural to start things from scratch and just kind of start up. So that, that was number one, that tolerance for risk and ability to accomplish the mission regardless of the obstacles is just, you cannot underestimate how much the military, specifically Marine Corps infantry, teaches that. The other thing for me, which is as of late, has been really, really important and it's come full circle is the principles of military leadership that are used and practiced and talked about across the military. And of course, business leverages uh, military leaders to help learn how to instill military leadership principles in their practices. And what I did is I founded my company. It was small. I could talk to everybody myself. And I kind of pushed aside military thought and stuff for about a decade. But about a year ago, when we expanded into our first new market in Denver at Alchemy, I all of a sudden found myself with uh, the business model 
growing really fast and starting to have some challenges with the business model. And I found myself all of a sudden with a hundred employees in two markets that, you know, even within the markets were dispersed. We don't have a headquarters, everyone, all the people work at a specific location. So we had four locations and then five locally and then one in Denver and things were not going that well for a while. And so among many things that I did to get us back on track and towards a path towards long-term growth, I went back and I studied and I read, I brought back some of those military leadership basic principles that work. I read the book, uh, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Wewink, and that helped clarify it for how to implement things with the team. And we did the basic stuff like decentralized command, increased autonomy for the general managers, the leaders on the field, like all the military playbook stuff that works, like going to those locations and making sure I review the roster of the team to make sure that the people on the team know that I know them and care about them. Like all that stuff that the generals used to do and the battalion commanders. And it works, first of all, and it makes everything better. So that's been the biggest thing. Like military leadership principles, they are essential to any organization. And it's like, it works. Were there any leadership challenges or business challenges that you didn't see coming? There's challenges every second of every day. And what you do is you decide which issues to work on on any given day, week, month, and quarter. And if you're structured properly, you're having hyper-focus on specific issues that you can move the needle on and improve each quarter and not just trying to put out fires all day, every day. So I guess that kind of leads to one challenge that, I, that you have to, to be successful, you have to learn how to overcome, which is, there are infinite challenges. Everything is kind of going wrong. If you look at it in a certain way, you're not likely to succeed. There are competitors out there who are working harder, are better funded, maybe smarter, and they will beat you if you, if you don't keep pushing the ball forward. Just being able to quiet the noise and learn how to focus on what you're working to fix today and getting the team on board with you. So that's one big one that just came to my brain just at this moment. And then the other one is how critically important, and it's this is not new information, but it's like, take my word for it. I've learned the hard way, just like every other leader in business, is how essential it is to have a clear vision and have it communicated over and over again in a way that gets everybody in the organization aligned with the vision. I just can't stress how important that is and how hard it is to do because it's so hard to continuously communicate with your team in a way that doesn't overcrowd their brains or give them too much information. It's just so hard, but it's, it's the most essential thing. It's the most common fault of small business and many companies. It's also the most important thing. So that's my, that's my biggest one right now. Any final thoughts? So number one is never run out of cash. And that's not necessarily based on a mistake that I've made, but I've gotten close. And that's the rule number one of a founder slash CEO is don't run out of cash. And that sounds stupid, but that's why companies go out of business is because they run out of cash. It's a big thing. That's number one. 
Number two is the power of focus. And the, what I mean by focus is if you go to business school, if you read any business book, if you read Good to Great by Jim Collins, which is the best business book I've ever read, they all talk about the power of focus, determining what your core business is that drives your business forward that you can be best in the world at. You should focus only on that and you should not do things that are outside of that core business and or that you can't be the best in the world at. And that sounds so simple when you're sitting at strategy 101 in your MBA program and you hear it over and over again and everyone makes a mistake of chasing opportunities that seem like you can do it because you're an entrepreneur and you have huge capacity and bandwidth and things are going well with your core business. So you can jump to add on services in my case or additional retail like supplements because why shouldn't I sell additional things that my customers are going to buy anyway? That is the way that businesses become not great or, or flounder or have trouble getting traction is trying to do too many things. And so I've learned that lesson the hard way by breaking that rule over and over again. And I think maybe I've finally learned my lesson at this point, but I'm sure I will try to break it again because I'm an entrepreneur. So I have good people on my team to keep me accountable and keep us going towards the vision and only focusing on the core. But that would be my number one thing. If you were in a service business, what is the service that you offer your customers that you can be best in the world at? You need to do that. And that's how you can create a great business. When you start slowing down on user acquisition, don't jump to some other service that's an add-on just because you think you can make easier money. You'll never be great if you do that. You need to focus on what you can be best in the world at and be great at that. And that's my number one advice besides don't run out of cash. I love that. That's great advice. Thanks again. And we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you again to WeWork. Veterans and Residents is a partnership of WeWork and Bunker Labs. Veterans and Residents is a six-month startup incubator and leadership program that provides veteran and military family members the community, business support, and a workspace to help launch and grow their businesses. To learn more about WeWork and the Veterans and Residents program, visit we.co slash veterans. That is we.co slash veterans. Find your tribe, create your life's work. Learn more at we.co slash veterans. This podcast was created by the team at Mission. If you want to hear more from Mission, be sure to check out mission.org. There's nothing small about your business. That's why Dell Small Business Technology Advisors are ready to give you trusted advice, one-on-one -on -one partnership, and tailored tech solutions like computers with Intel Core processors. Call 877 by dell to speak to an advisor today.